the word of the Lord on the Article 7 podcast. Hello, Andy Jago here, the pastor of Bethany Lutheran Church and Preschool, located at 2501 Beacon Hill Road in Alexandria, Virginia. Thank you for clicking on this sermon podcast. And uh, possibly you're seeing this podcast on our new website, www.bethany-lcms, and you can, uh, .org rather, and then you can hit backslash and the story. It's all one word, the story. For more information on this spiritual growth campaign of which this sermon is a part, this is chapter 14 of the story where we get introduced to prophets. Now, we've seen prophets before in previous chapters, uh, but from this point on, they play a really crucial role in the history of God's people. As a special bonus, you'll hear at the end of the sermon, a poor wayfaring stranger from our C2W, that stands for Created to Worship, our instrumentalists, Milton Hahn on the guitar, Carrie Michaud on the piano, uh, and also uh, John Lewis Michaud on the drums. Uh, so the recording that we made up, it's a, a, a bit unbalanced, I would say. There's just a little more guitar and piano, very little drum in the background. But still, I think you'll enjoy uh, hearing Poor Wayfaring Stranger. So the Word of the Lord, sermon for chapter 14 of the story is coming up. May the Lord bless us as we continue to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest His Holy Word. of the story, I think we need to go back to chapter 13, to King Solomon, which was a time of peace, of rest, from the continuous warfare that went on since the tribes of Israel left Egypt. When Solomon blessed the Lord in the newly built temple, this is in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. If you have your copy of the story with you, this is the bottom of page 187. If you're reading on with me, in the temple, Solomon says, Blessed be the Lord, that he hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he has promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he had promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. Not one word failed according to God's promise, the promise that God gave that there would be a time when Israel would have rest from all her enemies. And it was the wisdom of Solomon that helped to bring this about. Solomon, however, turned his heart away from God. And so God tells him, and this is in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11, or again, if you're in your copy of the story, page 192, the full paragraph up toward the top. Solomon hears this, the word of the Lord. Since it is your this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. 
So now, in the next chapter, now you turn the page right there in this story. Well, actually, it's on the opposite page there where chapter 14 begins. And so does the division, not peace anymore. And we have arrogance, a labor dispute, bad advice, and even worse leadership that helps to turn more and more hearts away from God as the kingdom splits in two. Throughout this chapter, we're covering the reigns of several kings who reign over Israel, over the northern tribes who split away, and then the descendants of Solomon who rule over the tribe of Judah from the city of Jerusalem, the city of David. And these words you'll see time and time again when the reign of each king begins. And there was war. This is despite the fact of, that a prophet shows up early in the reign of Jer- Rehoboam to say, you know, this is according to the, the word of the Lord. Do not fight with your brothers. But still there was fighting. And why was there war? And how can we avoid division and conflict and heal our own human divisions today? Those are questions that I had as I was approaching this chapter and wrote in the margins of my book. I was thinking of those things this past Wednesday. The offices here were quiet, aside from Secretary and myself who were here, and there was no school. Fairfax County had canceled that day for snow and hazardous driving conditions. And while I had time, I watched the live conference that the president gave following the Iranian attack on one of our air bases, which followed an attack that took out an Iranian general, and that followed numerous aggressions that have been occurring between the two countries since an agreement was left behind, and then you can go all the way back to the 1970s to see the back and forth between us. And I'm not going to give you, there is no biblical wisdom to give you as to what is the right foreign policy decision and what is the the direction that our country should take in the Middle East and all those things that are going on there. Those are complicated situations that good Christian people can debate about and discuss and even come to different conclusions. But no, what I was praying, and I bring this up not for that reason, but to, to say that as the president took the podium, it was the prayer in my heart and that was, those were the words that came out, that we would de-escalate, that there wouldn't be war, or out-and-out war, at least, between the two countries. The reason is because, well, and if there was, I had to be ready for it as a pastor because we went through this at 9-11, and that changed the, the operations and direction of our church. Now, we still go about word and sacrament ministry, but I noticed the effect it had on children, 9-11, that is, and, and the, the kind of fear and anxiety that a lot of people, we saw a lot of extra people coming in to the sanctuary at that time. And there had to be some comfort given in, in the prayers. And, and what is the prayers of the Christian people? And how can we respond when our country goes to war? And I thought about all of our members who are serving overseas at this time. I thought about those whose work may be affected within our congregation. But all of us 
you know, would be affected by that. And so I was, with great thanksgiving, I saw that there wasn't at least another escalation. There's also been some dinner conversations we were having at home, too, and, and there apparently World War III had been trending on social media, and uh, there was anxiety about a draft and, and war going on, battered about at school. So there's a whole generation that doesn't know since 9-11. I mean, my oldest was born right after that, and they don't know about a country going to war and what that looks like and feels like. Pray for peace, people everywhere. That's a line in one of the songs that you may hear over the radio at Christmas time, right? Do you hear what I hear? I mentioned that in my Christmas Eve sermon a couple years ago. I mentioned the fact that the composer wrote those words, pray for peace, out of the mouth of the king in that song. Pray for peace everywhere. Those words were written in the midst of the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, a time where there could be this imminent, massive destruction. Russia and the United States. And I can't imagine what it was like then in the 1960s to, to live through that. I know in the 80s we were still very much afraid of, of that coming to pass. You know, and, and it's, you know, the cynical side of me looks at that and says, oh, now look at, look at how far our human race has come. All the advances that we have in technology and science. And boy, do we know how to destroy each other. We know how to raise and wipe out all the good that God has created in this world. That's how far we have come. Closer to home in, in that moment of cynicism, this week also marked a week where West Potomac completed another lockdown drill. And they've informed the parents when they do that. So I asked my oldest, what do you do? We crouch in a corner and keep quiet in case there's an active shooter. Now think about that. You don't have to draft these kids into the military in order to put them in a situation. They have to drill and prepare for that moment of violence and terrorism that can come right in their schools. And that's the world that we live in. And that twists my guts that we have to teach our kids about that. When someone becomes unhinged or they want to make a political statement, they act out in violence in that way today. So even closer to home are the divisions. There's not much control, I think, we have over foreign policy. And we can't control individually, that is, an active shooter and what that person will do. But we see day after day where people, we, we, rend our hand, we can rend our hands and, and so forth and say, and, and, and our prayers say, God, why? But we know why, because it's inside of us as well. I mean, we have conflicts in our families, we have divisions. We have unnecessary roughness on social media. And all this is par for course. And it will continue to be as long as our sin and our selfishness pushes us away from God first and then creates these divisions that we have with each other. There could be no peace until God breaks down the wall of separation to bring us closer to him. And that happens. We see this in the chapter that we're studying for the story today. It happens through his word. It happens through worship where he has promised to be. It happens through daily repentance and prayer. So no, there isn't a whole lot that we 
can control, even when it comes to wrestling with our own sinful nature. At least it seems that way. But God promises to draw near to us even as we draw near to him. God promised this to Solomon, which is why Solomon was able to write words of wisdom. Again, going back before we go forward, this was in the previous chapter of the story. It was, it, what I liked is it weaved into the historical narrative some several passages from the book of Proverbs, the wisdom of Solomon. My son, do not forget my teaching. <laughs> now, did Solomon say those words to his son Rehoboam? Didn't take if he did. <laughs> it seems that way anyway. But the words of wisdom come to us today. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness desert you. You'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Isn't that what we sang just a moment ago? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. It's this wisdom that helped bring peace to the kingdom. David and Solomon, obviously not perfect individuals. They were sinful. They were far from perfect, but through David's victories and Solomon's wisdom, that promised peace, the promised rest from their enemies came about. The kingdom knew peace. But then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, takes bad counsel and tries to end a labor dispute with unwise words and harsh actions. And as God promised Solomon, the kingdom was torn from his house. Jeroboam, rhyming, I guess, so that we could remember the names, Jeroboam was crowned king of the northern tribes. Now, as I was reading through the book of Kings in this chapter of the story, you know, you get a description of each king as you go. And I connected to what I know, you know, of the American presidents, at least those that have been president in my time, in my lifetime. And I saw some similarities there where the kings and the presidents, you know, there's a mix of good and there's a mix of bad in every individual in how they lead. Jeroboam, though, set his country on the path of destruction. And as we read in our reading today, it started with not one, but two golden calves. And I said in our Bible study today, kids, that, yeah, an appropriate response to that is, holy cow, <laughs> didn't we see this before? <laughs> you know, if you remember previous chapter of the story where, with involving Moses and a golden calf, you know that that didn't go well. And we are given the words in this section, no, and it caused the people to sin. So to get his people back, God sends a man of God. That's all we know. We're not even given a name. Man of God. Sent by. Under, uh, these are words I underlined in my text. By the word of God. The word of God comes and pew, jumps on this prophet and a lot of prophets that we'll encounter just describe having no choice. It's not even a word that they want to say, but God doesn't give them a choice. They go out with the word of the Lord. Not just with, but by the word of the Lord. And he comes from the south, from Judah. He goes up to that holy place in Bethel. 
And maybe just as Jeroboam is about to do something at the altar, he interrupts the worship. Altar, altar! And with his strident voice shouts out, this person is a prophet. And we've seen prophets before in the story. But you'll see from this chapter on, the prophets are going to take a very central role in the history of God's people. God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. More on that later. Back to the prophets who brought God's word to rebuke, correct, and encourage people so they could turn back to God. Now in any relationship, there has to be communication in order to sustain that relationship. There has to be back and forth. And do you, brothers, sisters and brothers, you talk to God, right? We talk to God in our prayers. We may talk to God a lot in your commute in the morning and in the afternoon. And have that conversation. Well, as much as we talk to the Lord, there also has to be time for the Lord to speak to us. God does that through his word. When God spoke to Jeroboam, that speaking was accompanied with powerful signs so that there could be no doubt this is the word of the Lord. This is the Lord speaking it. The hand that was outstretched to accuse the man of God, that stays there. <laughs> Can you imagine? The king can't take back his own hand. Humbly, he has to ask for help. And the altar, right then and there, splits apart just as the prophet says those words. And ashes spill out. These are like big, large billboard signs in red that say, danger. You're about to go over the cliff. Stop where you are. We'll see that sadly, the billboards are ignored. God had appointed the priests and the feasts that would bring his people together in peace. But Jeroboam got his theology degree from MSU because he made a lot of stuff up. <laughs> he made up the priests and he made up the feasts. And yes, I've heard, well, we could just worship God in our own way. There's some truth to that, but really when we go our own way, away from Yahweh, away from God's way to come to him, where God says he's going to be. We come up with objects and things that lead us away from God's word and away from God's presence. And God has promised to be with us. Today, God promises us that where we seek, we will find. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is there in that baptism. This is my body, this is my blood. Those are ways in which we come into and receive the Lord's presence. In worship, we know God's peace, we know God's wisdom, we know God's victory over our sin. Now this week we had some reminders, I believe, of just how fragile peace can be. There's no peace on this earth. Because we still rebel against God's wisdom and God's ways with our selfishness and our sin. God's plan is to restore the kingdom. 
first in our hearts, and then with a kingdom that can never be shaken or moved, just like we sang about in our anthem today. We are receiving that kingdom. But first, God comes to us in our heart, and after he was done speaking his word, he sends his final word, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became sin. He became the curse. He stands in the place of sinners at his baptism to fulfill all righteousness. He took the judgment of God at the cross. The prophets who went before spoke God's word with the truth. But Jesus, the word made flesh, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the power of God. He is the resurrection and the life. No weapon that is forged against us shall stand and no enemy shall prosper because we have ultimate victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have everlasting love through his Son, whom God has sent into this world, and we have peace forevermore because sin, death, and the devil are all defeated at the cross. Solomon wrote, the beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We, know, we need to know Jesus to have a proper fear of the Lord, to receive his wisdom. The first Bethany that I was a pastor of in Yonkers, New York, and that was in all, all the families were African-American except for my family. Um, and so there, we had to be attentive to things that were going on in the community. The city of Yonkers still struggled with segregation and racism and so there were ways in which we as a church would speak peace into our community, invite our police department. There was a little headquarters right there, right across from our church. And so we'd invite them in for a fish fry, <laughs> you know, got to know one another, pray for one another, and prayed for our community where we were. Well, those one time I remember really taking some of our youth aside. We had a small youth group, but taking a few of them aside because what went on in the news that week was the Million Youth March in New York, nearby Central Park. And a person named Farrakhan was, you know, having kids say F the police and, you know, do, you know, inciting, I think, uh, some, some we, we talked about the things that were being said, some of them which I think would lead to violence. We talked about what it means when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And how does that look in our community? What are the things that the church can do? And in the sermon that Sunday, then I remember taking on, you know, so of course with Farrakhan and his group, they were doing no justice, no peace. And that was going through the community. We talked, you know, yes, justice. There are some social justice issues that we were confronting there in Yonkers. But how do we confront that, and how do we pray for it? That was the difference, I think, between Christians and this other group. Well, as they were chanting, no justice and no peace, well, then I said, well, it wasn't original to me. Other Christians did this first, but I grabbed onto the phrase, no Jesus, no peace. And you could take that both ways, right? N-O, no, or K-N-O-W, no. If you know Jesus, you will know peace, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. Do you turn the other cheek? 
Do you forgive as Jesus forgave you? Do you say, I'm sorry, when you fail to say or to be kind? Well, let me ask you a different set of questions because the answer to those questions is likely, well, sometimes. How do you know, how do I know that you know Jesus? We sometimes do those things. But if we fail to do them, well, then know these questions. Have you been baptized, and has your sin been washed away? Have you received our Lord's body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you heard that God loves you and sent his only Son to give you life? Have you heard that his Holy Spirit lives inside of you and continually raises you up to be a new person in your baptism? A person who is not a slave to anger and fear, but a slave to righteousness, to doing what is right and acting in love. Those are things we can grab onto, that we can latch onto, where we know Jesus, where he has promised to be and know his wisdom and his peace. Those are the places where God has promised us his kingdom, which we are now receiving and will come to fruition when he comes again, and there will be lasting peace with the coming of our king as he returns. But until then, draw closer to God, and he will draw close to you and to me. And through us, through the church, there may be peace, peace that we receive, peace that we freely give. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace that passes all understanding keep our hearts.